Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, while we come to a new section uh, tonight uh, where Paul moves from the corporate context uh, of the congregation uh, into the day-to-day, um, the day-to-day relationships that, um, that believers have at home and at work, uh, the section still remains uh, an extension of what we've just finished. And I want to explain um, how that is in a couple of ways. One, uh, living as beloved children, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, um, is not done compartmentally. In other words, we don't live one way at, at church, uh, another way at home, and another way in the marketplace. We're to live consistently as beloved children. Regardless of the environment that we live in, regardless of the environment that we are, regardless of our circumstances, uh, regardless of the relationships that we have. Secondly, uh, to do what Paul is about to command us to do is going to take uh, being filled with and living by the Spirit. There's no question about that. And so we said, of course, that we are filled by the Spirit as we gather here together as God's people. It's within this corporate context, in the context of worship as we come, as we sing, as we speak God's Word together, as we sing God's Word together, as we hear God's uh, Word read, as we hear it preached, uh, as we submit to one another in the course of our fellowship together. It's in that context that, that we're filled by the Spirit, and therefore what we are doing tonight and what we do every week is vitally, vitally important to what is about to come. It's very important for us to be involved here. It's necessary for the health of our marriages. It's necessary for the relationships within our home. It's necessary for the relationships in the marketplace. And so with that in mind, with that context set, would you stand with me? I want to read again uh, the the passage, not completely from verse 15 like Ernie did, but I do want to read um, from verse 22, actually, just so it's fresh in our minds as we begin this evening. Hear now the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, uh, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. 
Well, Father, we thank you for this, your holy and inerrant word. And I pray, Father, that you would bless the reading of it as well as the preaching of it. May we be different having heard from you this evening. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth. And may it be planted deep within our hearts and bring forth fruit in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Some of you, just by looking around, will remember this, but in 1986, uh, a Christian counselor by the name of Willard Harley Jr. wrote a book called His Needs, Her Needs. And the sub, uh, the caption below it was, or the the subtitle was, Building Building an Affair-Proof Marriage. And in that book, he made the following statement. By the way, that book has sold over 2 million copies since it was first written. Um, And... He describes briefly his counseling practice in these terms. He says, I simply asked each spouse what the other could do that would make him or her the happiest. Whatever it was, that was their first assignment. And as I perfected my understanding of what it was that husbands and wives needed from each other to trigger their feeling of love and learned how to motivate them to meet whatever need was identified, my rate of success skyrocketed. Now, I'm, I'm not going to take the time to pick apart that statement, um, but let's just say that I think Paul's advice would be just a little bit, a little bit different. If we were to ask Paul about the success of marriage or, or about marriage and how to, um, and to make marriage work, I think he would say something like this, identify your needs, but only so your spouse can put them before their own. And remember that they're going to do the same for you so you can put theirs before your own. Also, make sure you don't base your happiness on their success or failure in regards to meeting your needs. And also, don't blame him or her for your lack of effort. Because that's not an option. You are responsible responsible for your own role, whether your spouse fulfills theirs or not. And I think you would wrap up by saying, if you want your marriage to work, you're going to have to take the focus off of yourself, your needs, your expectations, and turn it outward to your spouse. No, better than that, more than that, turn it outward and look to Christ. He's your only hope. And I say that would be his advice if he were asked because that's really a summary of what he says here in Ephesians 5. That's that's what he says when he's speaking of this profound mystery and the profound mystery of marriage. uh, He shares what three things I think in particular. He, of course, shares the role of the wife, the role of the husband, and then the role of Christ and his gospel. Okay, the role of the wife, the role of the husband and the role of Christ in his gospel. Let's look first at the role of the wife. Now, look at verse 22, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, there's a good chance, unfortunately, that feathers are already ruffling because we've been conditioned whenever we hear that word or we read this phrase that that's that's what we're to do. But what does it actually mean? How many of us know what it actually means? We just we bristle. But do we do we know what causes all of the consternation among people? Paul is simply talking about a yielding 
to the God-given leadership or authority or position of the husband. It's a yielding to the God-given leadership or authority or position of the husband. But there are a few things that we need to clarify when we're talking about what that looks like. It has nothing to do with the wife's inferiority or the husband's superiority. It has everything to do with role and order. It's not a mindless yielding and doesn't involve cowering to every whim or fancy of her husband. Instead, it's a thoughtful and purposeful yielding and therefore it doesn't create tension, but it actually fosters teamwork and agreement. It has nothing to do with her capability or incapability But everything to do with her responsibility to fulfill her God-given role to be that complementary help that is suitable for her husband. It doesn't involve suppressing her thoughts and her gifts and her ideas and her abilities, but rather it fosters her expression of them fully and confidently. It involves her expression of those fully and confidently to the glory of God and on behalf of her husband and for uh, the good of the marriage. It's also not dependent upon her husband's leadership. But is always conditional upon obedience to the Lord. And and what I mean by that is that, or in other words, a husband's lack of leadership should not prompt a wife's lack of submission. However, his sin or his desire for his wife to sin should always be lovingly challenged. And I feel as though I need to be very clear and have thought about this always, but I, I want to be clear right here at this point and say, ladies, if you are ever, ever in danger, you should leave, find help, and go to a place of safety immediately. Now notice too in verse 23, a wife is to submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ because he is our head and our savior. You know, the church has a great deal of confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a great deal of confidence in his loving care of us. We acknowledge and agree that his role and his rule is for our benefit. We believe that he is, we believe and appreciate and respect his sacrifice, his protection, and his provision on our behalf. And we honor him because of that. So Paul, his point is that a wife submit, sub, his wife's submission is a means by which she communicates confidence in her husband and in his leadership. She expresses confidence in his loving care of her. Her submission um, doesn't express her, her need or her desire for her husband to be her savior. But it does communicate her desire for him to fulfill his role for for her benefit. And she honors and respects him for that care, for that provision, for that protection. And then finally, submission is not forced or coerced. It involves voluntary cooperation that the wife exhibits as to the Lord Guys, it's not our responsibility to make our wives submit. It's ours. We need to focus our attention on verses 25 and following, not 22 to 24. Just to be quite honest. 
Because a wife's submission, a wife's submission is an act of obedience to the Lord, not subservience to her husband. As one commentator put it, he said, a wife's submission does not find its source in who her husband is, in what he does, or in how deserving he is. Its source is in her relationship with Jesus. That is the source. So that's submission. What about the husband? Look at verse 25. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, notice, though, though he calls the husband the head of the wife in verse 22, Paul's instruction is not for the husband to lead. The instruction is to love. The the instruction is for him to love his wife. And I think we could... We could avoid a great deal of pain and agony that takes place within the conversations around these roles if we would just understand that and spend more time trying to figure out what love is rather than headship. Though love is a part of it. Particularly because we are to follow Christ's example. I mean, think about it. His love was expressed as he gave himself up for the church. He humbled himself. He left what was comfortable. And he entered into the suffering and the sorrow and the rejection and the disdain and the weaknesses that are all a part of this thing we call life. And he did it for us. He laid down his life. He gave up his life. He laid it down on the cross for his bride, for us. By his passive obedience and through his blood, we were washed and cleansed of all our sins. And by his active obedience and again, by his blood, and by, we, we've been imputed with his righteousness and we've been declared holy and righteous. And we're without blemish or spot or wrinkle. And, and though... And though we radiate dimly right now, we will one day radiate in the full beauty and glory when we are in his presence and he presents us to himself. And so Paul says husbands are to love their wives in that way. That means it's a sacrificial love. It's a self it's a selfless love. It's a serving love. It's a love that gives up things of value and importance to the husband so that he might focus his attention on those things that his wife values and believes are important. It's the kind of love that gives up expectations or conditions. It's the kind of love that is patient and kind and it isn't jealous and doesn't seek its own. It's the kind of love that looks out for the best interests of the wife. It's the kind of love... Well, and and he does that. He looks out for her best interest regardless of the cost. It causes the husband to do things for his wife even if she doesn't deserve it. And even if he doesn't feel like it. And he does it even when it's not easy or convenient. It's a love that increases her value in her own sight and in the sight of others. It's all about honoring her, appreciating her, glorying in her. 
It's about putting her in the best position possible to exercise her gifts for the talents and her gifts and talents for the glory of God and the good of the marriage. It's about encouraging her to grow in godliness. It's making sure that the word of God is a part of the day to day life. It's making sure that she is gathered with the saints on a weekly basis to worship, because, again, it is here that we're filled by the spirit. It focuses on her long-term holiness and not short-term happiness. It's also the kind of love that makes sure that his wife is not put in situations, whether that be physically, emotionally, or spiritually, where her purity is put into question or defiled. He has a responsibility to protect her, to protect her eyes and her ears. He has a responsibility to make sure he is never... She's never in an environment where her virtue is questioned or threatened. And he doesn't stop there, though we might wish he would. He also says in verse 28, he changes the metaphor and says husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Notice they aren't to love them like they love their own bodies. They are to love them as their own bodies, because in the marriage relationship, the two are one flesh. The two have become one flesh. And so as the husband takes care of and would focus his attention on nourishing and caring for his own body, he's to nourish and care for his wife. He's to protect her, provide for her physical needs and warmth and comfort and security as we do our own. And why is all that true? Because it's how Christ loved the church. And guys, that is how Christ has loved our wives on our behalf. And when we love our wives in that way, they have a better understanding of how Christ has loved them. And to be really brutally honest, I think it's safe to say that while we're not the source of our wives' submission, because it doesn't come from who we are or what we do or what how we deserve or what we might deserve. How we love does determine whether their submission is a delight or a duty. And I'm sure that is a bit overwhelming to hear. I've felt the weight of that all week as I've prepared. The calls to both submitting and loving are daunting. They're overwhelming. But thankfully, Paul doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it there. Having laid out the calls to husbands and wives, look at what he says in verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Having already shown us throughout this passage that Christ's love and the church's submission are examples for us to follow in marriage. Paul now moves to a deeper purpose. He moves moves beyond uh, the instruction and speaks of the marriage itself. And while he's been providing instructions for both husbands and wives within their marriages, his goal has not been their happiness. happiness. 
If they submit to and love one another and live within what's really, and I think you've heard it, I'm sure you have. It's really a mutual self-sacrificing relationship. Both people involved. And, and if they were to do that, yes, happiness and joy will more, more than likely be experienced from time to time. But that's not his ultimate point. The focus and the ultimate point is, is deeper than just marital satisfaction and happiness. His focus is on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does that because the relationship between Christ and the church is more than just an illustration or an example for us to follow or to emulate. The role of Christ and the gospel include, that includes the church is one of power that enables us to fulfill the roles in the first place. And it is that to which the marriage ultimately points. And so I'd like to take some time to explain in the context of the varying groups uh, that, that are here tonight. Uh, those that are married, those never married and who may or may not be dating, those who are widowed and divorced. First, let me, for those that are, who are married, there are three things. And these are three things that, that I've shared at both of my boys' weddings um, a year and a half ago. First, because of Christ, you don't have to put pressure on each other. What I mean by that is that in Christ, you have been fully and finally loved and accepted by God. And therefore, you no longer have to fear rejection, period, but specifically in that relationship. And you are now free to love and put those needs of the other before your own. Because you are not in need of anything from them. And so you can love them freely. You can pour yourself out for them. You can serve them. You can love them. You can submit to them because you no longer feel, feel the need to, to expect something in return. And you've taken the pressure off the other. Secondly, because of Christ, you don't have to put pressure on yourselves. So within the marriage, in Christ, you've been completely accepted based upon what he has done on your behalf, not what you do or don't do. So you don't have to be the perfect husband. You don't have to be the perfect wife. Yes, it's it's something that we strive for because we've been called to it. We've been talking about that over the last several weeks. But know that your failures or your successes do not define you as a spouse. Your identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Strive, yes. But know that your, again, your successes and your failures don't change your standing and who you are and your position in the Lord Jesus. And rest in that. And, and really, rather than focus on being a great husband and, and focusing on being a great wife, take the time to focus on how great of a husband Jesus was to his bride. And how you are a benefactor of that. 
And finally, because of Christ, you don't have to put pressure on your marriage. You know, we have this tendency as Christians to elevate the spiritual status of those who have strong marriages over those who have weaker marriages. And as a result, we put an inordinate amount of pressure on people and ourselves to have perfect marriages. And because no one has a perfect marriage, but we hide our struggles, we hide our difficulties, we hide the reality that's a part of every marriage, all in an an attempt to save face. We don't want other people to know. And so we we portray ourselves as super spiritual. But the reality is, Paul says that the mystery is that marriage points to the gospel. And when we hide all of those things that we struggle with, in the end, we undermine the exact gospel that the marriage is to point to. Because if people never see our struggles and never see our difficulties, they never see the need for grace. It's when people see husbands loving their wives, even when their lives are, wives are being difficult, that they see grace, that they see the gospel. It's when wives are submitting and honoring their husbands, even when their husbands are difficult, that people see grace. When people see grace in the midst of marriages, they see a true picture of Christ in his church. And by the way, he is the only husband who loved his bride perfectly, and he did so despite her unfaithfulness. Now, quickly, for those who are single, if you're if you're dating or aren't dating, uh, but considering marriage sometime in the future, a couple things. One, uh, take everything I just said and file it away for later. Right. And secondly, don't settle. Don't settle. While a good personality and a plan for the future and similar goals may be important when it comes to looking for and finding a spouse, look for and grab a hold of someone who understands the role within marriage and is striving to fulfill it. And for those who are single and marriage isn't on your radar, it's just, it's just not something that you, you, you may not feel called to it. It may not be something that you're thinking about. Listen, that's okay. It's okay. Don't let anyone pressure you. Marriage doesn't represent or supply ultimate fulfillment. That's not where your fulfillment is found. That is only found in Christ. So rest in and cultivate that relationship with the Lord Jesus and then be an active part of the local body, his bride, because you're going to be able to serve the church in ways that married couples can't. And then finally, for those who are widowed or divorced, I, I do not pretend in any way to know how you feel. But I do know that it's very, very difficult when two who have become one flesh are separated for any reason at all. I I do get that. And I, I know that sermons like these on this passage can be painful because they have the tendency to remind you of what what you had and lost or maybe what you had or really didn't have what you miss. So would you, I pray that you would hear Paul's words tonight. Hear that this mystery is profound and I'm saying it refers to Christ and this church. And may the truth of the gospel that, 
uh, to which marriage points be a balm to your broken heart. May it be a balm. Because the Father gave a people and that, uh, that people is the church or are the church of which you are a part. And he gave them to Christ, his son, to be his bride and his body. And you are a part of that bride. You are a part of that body. And, and you have been loved perfectly and sacrificially to the point of his laying down his life for you. And he's done so so that you might be washed clean, sanctified, set apart as holy, arrayed in glory. You are beautiful and glorious before him. And he continues to nourish and care for you. Through the word and through the sacrament, through the simple means of grace. As we talked about in chapter 4 as well, he will also nourish you and care for you as you serve the body and as we serve you. And he will supply your every need according to his riches and glory. He is the head, is the bridegroom. In, in moments like these, on days like today, when you think about your marriage specifically or marriage in general, may it point to your bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, as this passage intends. Hope in him. And really, that's the final word for all of us, isn't it? May we see Jesus. May we hope in him. Let's pray together.